morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, let me just say, uh, we've exhausted all of our staff in fulfilling this series, and so you're stuck with me. Uh, Colin's out of town, um, uh, a couple of our other staff, Greg Pirtle and Keith Maloney, have also filled in while, Ke- uh, while Colin's been on vacation, and so uh, there was no one else left, and so we have to do this. So, if you are a guest or you haven't been around much this summer, we've been in a series uh, in the book of Daniel called Believers in Babylon, and it's actually been a fascinating series, if you haven't spent much time in the book of Daniel, about the story of the exile of the Israelites and being held captive, and the Babylonians coming in, taking over, just pilfering their temple and all their goods Uh, taking them, holding them captive, and the story of this guy named Daniel and a couple of his friends, you know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of their life, their journey, their experiences through this time, and also some pretty fascinating dreams and visions that this incredibly faithful servant of God named Daniel um, is a part of during this time. And so it's, it's really been a good series. We have one more week next week. Colin will wrap it all up. Uh, But this morning, I want to spend just a few minutes going through, catching everybody up on some things. So chapter one, let me just remind you, Daniel and his friends, uh, they're incredibly capable individuals. The king recognizes that very quickly. And so he calls them into his palace to join his staff and become a part of of what he's trying to do. And and so Daniel and his friends do that, but they quickly realize that here's the deal. You got to do things my way, guys. So you got to become like one of us. You need to eat like us, follow the same beliefs as us. Your culture needs to move away from that of your people and become more like those of the Babylonians. And Daniel and his friends didn't go for it. But God delivered them. The king exalted them and recognized uh, their faithfulness in their God. And so he he blessed them. In chapter 2, this king had a dream. Only Daniel could interpret the, the dream. It was about a big, tall statue, had to do with the fact that this statue represented some, some evil man-made kingdoms, and eventually God would take those over. But Daniel was able to interpret this for the king, and he was grateful. Chapter 3 is the famous story of the fiery furnace. You've all heard it growing up as a child. Um, Daniel's friends were told to bow down and worship, and they said, no, we're not doing it. And they said, well, then you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And they said, okay, let's do this, and God's going to protect us. And God protected them. They didn't burn. They didn't die. And so the king recognized that, wow, this God must be for real. And so he exalted them and, um, and recognized their God as the one true God. In chapters 4 and 5, you have a father and son, King Nebuchadnezzar and his son, uh, King Belshazzar, and both of them are incredibly arrogant individuals who are convinced that they know beyond anyone and everything else. And they had dreams and visions, and uh, Daniel interpreted it for them and said, you need to humble yourself before the one true God. And they both said, no, pride took over. We're not doing that. And so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was literally brought to a point of insanity and spent some time as a beast-like human out in the wilderness, eventually humbled himself before God, came back, and his kingdom was given to him. His son Belshazzar never, ever did humble himself, and he eventually died. In chapter 6, another famous story, the lion's den. Daniel's thrown into it because like his friends earlier, they said, hey, bow down and worship, and you'll be fine. He said, no, I'm going into the lion's den, and God delivered him uh, safely from the mouth of the beast's And once again, the king recognized and exalted Daniel and his God as the one true God. Chapter 7 is a 
fascinating sci-fi kind of experience where Daniel interprets a dream or has a vision, and, uh, and it's of these four beasts that represent these four human man-made kingdoms, and this super beast that is the evil, evil uh, kingdom of all. And, uh, and there's, this, there's this son of man image that represents the king and his people, and then there's this godlike figure image known as uh, the, um, the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days eventually goes after the super beast, and the super beast and this Ancient of Days figure, they fight, and eventually God, the Ancient of Days image, wins out over the super beast. And it's a fascinating story about good versus evil, and how the super beast eventually takes the Son of Man image and his people, and they rule over the nations. All right. There you go. You're caught up. Welcome. There's also chapter 8, which is about a goat and a ram and a horn coming out of a goat and about this really evil king, and it has to do with chapter 7, but eventually God wins out there too. So it's really, you ought to just go read it if you haven't. It's, it's a fascinating book, and, and it brings us all to this morning, which is chapter 9 in the book of Daniel. If you've got your Bibles, turn there, Daniel chapter 9. So as we were all dividing up the sermon series, and Colin was going to preach these, and Keith was going to preach this, and Greg was going to preach this, and those guys all got a chance to preach some really cool stuff about this incredible guy named Daniel, these heroic moments of faith, and lions, and, and furnaces of fire, and, and these crazy beasts, and sci-fi stories, and all this stuff, and, and Colin hands me chapter 9, which is called Daniel's Prayer. <clears throat> it's riveting. Thanks, Colin. So, what I'm, uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to spend a few minutes working through Daniel's prayer because I will confess to you, I was less than uh, enthused with the idea of, of preaching about a prayer. But as I started getting into this prayer, I started recognizing there's some really powerful thoughts, some incredibly powerful concepts in this prayer. And so this morning, we're going to spend just a few minutes doing that. But I want you to understand this prayer comes out of the fact that Daniel was was at a point of as many questions, if not more questions, than answers in regard to some of these dreams and some of these visions and what had been going on in his, in his experience and relationship with God, and even more so, the coming of the end of an exiled period of time, 70 years, and when that was actually going to come to an end, and Daniel wanting God to tell him what the plan was and when this was going to be over. So, let's spend a few minutes looking at... Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So, Daniel starting this prayer off based on some scriptural reading that he, had, um, that he had read from Jeremiah. So, put your finger there. Let's go to Jeremiah 29 real quickly because I want us to read what Daniel was understanding and interpreting in the scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 29, starting at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So when I read this, just off the top of my head, what this sounds like is one of those moments with my dad 
right before he spanked me, and he would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And the reality is, it didn't hurt him at all. God knew this was not going to go very well for the Israelite nation. He knew what they didn't know. And I think what he was trying to say was, I love you, but this is going to hurt. I care about you. I do have your best interest at heart. I have great plans for you, but this is going to be painful. So I don't know if they fully got it or not, but I think that's what God was trying to say. So, so uh, Daniel has these words that he's going back to and saying, okay, God, you said 70 years. We're coming close to the end of that 70 years, and I'm just kind of wanting to know what the plan is. So finishing out Jeremiah 29, 12. Then they will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place for which I carried you in to exile. I want you to keep Jeremiah 29, these four verses, in mind as we read through Daniel's prayer. I want you to check off the boxes of the prophecy. How many things come to be based on what God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29? So let's go back to Daniel 9 now. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. Here's the prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who commands his covenant of people with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel's basically saying, God, you are awesome. You are faithful. You always remain faithful. And God, I am with you. I am one of the faithful ones like me. Please hear me. And then he switches to some different language. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all of Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. I think I counted nine we's. Daniel's incredible. So here's this, here's this person, this man, this faithful hero of his nation, okay? He's held up as the, the example of what it means to be a faithful follower of God. And he's lumping himself into the sin, the unfaithfulness, the disgrace that so many of God's people were involved in during this time. He didn't separate himself. It's one of the fascinating things about Daniel is, I promise you, he stepped back at times and looked and said, guys, it's not that hard to just follow him. And yet he looked as they continued to struggle and make mistakes and sin and be unfaithful and turn their back on God. But Daniel never turned his back on his people. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses, sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. 
you have fulfilled the words you spoke, uh, spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Make a little note there. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sin and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. I love that last verse here. Our God is righteous, our God is good, but he did not waste a second punishing us when we deserved it. There's a whole lot in just these four or five verses right here. It's very interesting to me, again, Daniel with the all and we language, continuing to bring himself into a part of this conversation when he had multiple reasons and a handful of rights to be able to step away and say, them and they, God. But he kept himself connected to his people. And in verse 12, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on a great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. So this was bad. I don't know how bad, but in Daniel's opinion, in his perspective, this was the worst thing that had ever happened on the face of the earth. Whatever Jerusalem was going through during this time of captivity was really, really bad. Listen to verse 15. I think we have a little slight tone change in Daniel's prayer. So we've been having a lot of confessing and acknowledging of wrongdoing and desire for for God to recognize and understand that they do recognize their wrongs. And then in verse 15, it says this, Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who have made uh, for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned and we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn your anger away and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all of those around us. Kind of get the feeling uh, Daniel ratcheted up his prayer just a little bit. I think he moved from sitting Indian style with his hands folded in front of him praying to God. And he may have stood up at this point because you're starting to hear a little bit of God, Okay, this is enough. We are sorry. We are wrong. We know what we've done. Now you're being disgraced, God. Everyone is looking at us and mocking us and laughing at us. Enough is enough. Remember what Jeremiah 29. I think God knew this was going to be way harder than the Israelites ever thought. Dads sometimes know when it really is going to be harder. Dads tend to know what we don't know. Verse 17, Now, again, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, And here, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake. My God, do not delay. 
because your city and your people bear your name. God, it's me. It's Daniel. Okay, I know you. You know me. We are sorry. But God, you've got to start looking at us. Please pay attention to the suffering, to the pain, to the anguish, to the hurt that we are experiencing here. God, we know we've messed up. And we're sorry. But enough is enough. For our sake, for your sake, for everyone's sake, please, can this be done? Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. So we've moved, we've moved again. Daniel's now calling God out, in my opinion. This is a challenge to God to respond, to hear him, to do something. And there sounds to be, uh, there, there, there sounds like there's a lot more frustration and anxiety in his, in his words, in his tone, in, in my imagination, than a simple, quiet, passive request. And yet amidst all this emotion and frustration, asking God to listen, asking God to hear, asking God to do something for our sake, for his sake, for everyone's sake, I love what he says in 18. But God, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. I love that. Amidst everything else that Daniel is feeling, he is feeling incredible hurt and pain for his people, for what they are enduring, for what is going on with this nation, for the, for the captivity that they've been in, for the uncertainty as to when it's going to end, if it's ever going to end, because I think he's praying this because he's wondering if it's ever going to end, and yet he never forgets the fact that, God, I know this isn't because of me. If Daniel had any, if, if Daniel of all the people in that nation had the right to come to God and say, God, I don't deserve this, it's him. I've done good. I've done what you've said. I've been faithful. I've been trusting in you. I've been relentless in my commitment to you. But he doesn't. He recognizes that it is only because of God's mercy. And with that, Daniel said, Amen. And his prayer was done. Yeah, Daniel's a pretty impressive guy, so why wouldn't we think that he could also pray pretty well? As also, it's a pretty incredible prayer. The ups and downs, the emotions of, of worship and adoration of God, the moments of, 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 uh, of recognition of sin and, and transgression and wrongdoing and the desire for forgiveness and reconciliation with God, the calling out and challenging of God to listen, to pay attention, to do something. And so after all this, God's greatest, most faithful, heroic uh, servant within this nation, begging and pleading for God to respond... I'm sure God does, right? Look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, uh, the people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. I would love to know when the angel Gabriel actually came. By the way, 
just a side note, Gabriel always gets some incredibly tough missions from God for some reason, and I'm not sure why, but he always seems to get some tough ones. He's delivering some really bad news to Daniel, but nonetheless, I would love to know when the angel Gabriel actually came to Daniel, because it says, during my prayer. So I'm curious, was it during the front part of it when we saw a shift from Daniel worshiping and and adoring God to this sense of confession of sin and struggle um, and unfaithfulness? Or did he come later on when you see see the shift in him from moving from this acknowledgement of sin and wrongdoing and unfaithfulness to this anger and frustration that God won't listen to him? I happen to think it was right about there. We don't know for sure, but it sure makes sense because there's a very clear tone change in Daniel's prayer. And if you were praying for God to respond and God sent an angel and said, uh, no, you have a tendency to want to become frustrated. And I think that's what Daniel did because here's the reality of it. The reality of it is this. Daniel was begging and pleading for his people. Continue on. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24, 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy place. So God says, Daniel, you're esteemed. I love you. I hold you in high regard. You're probably one of my favorites. You are special. You are significant. You are righteous. I love everything about you, Daniel, but here's the answer. The answer is no. I'm sorry. I know what you want. I understand you. I hear you. I clearly get what you're asking for, but the answer is no. Now, scholars and and theologians and uh, experts far smarter than than myself have uh, a number of different opinions about what the 77s mean. Some think it's a literal time frame of 70 years times 7, 490 years. Others think it's in the form of of weeks. Others think the numbers symbolize some different things. Don't get caught up on the, the amount of time because the reality is this. I question, did God break his promise? Because in Jeremiah 29, it clearly says, 70 years and it'll all be over. I'll bring you home. It'll all be good. Daniel recognizes 70 years are coming to an end, and he just wants to make sure God is, uh, is remembering this promise. And God says, no. I don't believe God broke his promise. The Israelites were eventually set free. They did go home. But all was not forgotten. Their punishment continued. For how long, I don't know exactly. But the point is, it probably had to feel a little bit like to Daniel and to the Israelites that God had a change of mind. Because if you're, if you're a human being reading this scripture, being committed to what God is saying in his word, and you understand it to mean 
70 years and all is forgotten. This is the way it will be and all will be good. And 70 years comes and you're still wondering whether God has completely fulfilled that promise. You're going to question whether God has broken his promise to you. I don't believe he did. But I do think it felt that way to Daniel. And I do think it felt that way to this nation. And so here's my question for you. What do you do when it seems like God breaks his promise? God, I have tried everything I can to be all that you want me to be. I have tried to be as faithful to you as I possibly can. God, I have read your word. I have believed your holy word. I have sought to live my life in accordance with what you desire. And yet the answer is no. Here's a second question. What do you do when the answer is no, despite what you believe to be true and all your best efforts? We often want to desperately look and find and beg for the yes. We want the yes in everything that we ask for. And we want to be right. We want it to be right in our mind. And right in our mind is yes. Because it's what we believe is right. According to scripture, according to life lived, according to experiences, we believe this is right, God, and we want the answer yes. And sometimes the answer is no. God answers prayers not because of our righteousness, not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of his grace and mercy. Church, I know you know this, but we all need to be reminded sometimes that God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us a response, and he definitely doesn't owe us a yes. Because I do believe the words of Jeremiah 29 when he does say, I do have great plans for you, and I do have your best interest at heart. I have great things. I love you, even amidst the exile, even amidst the pain and the hurt and the confusion and the uncertainty and the anxiety that comes along with life, even when the answer is no. Even when the answer is no. Would you close your eyes and let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for this story of Daniel and your people. God, I'm grateful for the incredible heroic moments of faith in which you protected them through uh, horrific and uh, terrible situations for your name to be glorified and exalted above all other gods. And, uh, but God, I'm also grateful for these, these challenging moments in which Men like Daniel struggled and wrestled with you to know what you were trying to do, to understand who you were and the plan that you were um, leading. 
And God, I confess to you, there are times that I don't understand your answers. That I think the answer should be clearly yes, and it's no, and I, and I don't know why. And, and, and God, I'm just grateful for the fact that you remind us through Daniel, and you remind us through this story, this prayer, of your incredible faithfulness. And God, I'm thankful that Daniel reminded us above all else that no matter what we want, no matter what the answer is, that it is not because of what we have done or who we are or what we have accomplished in our life that you hear us and that you respond. It is only because of your grace. It is only because of your great mercy that you hear us. And may we never forget that. God, we thank you for the one who came after him, who reconciled all the sin and all the transgression, all the hurt and all the pain. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who saved all the people. And it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.